Welcome everyone to day 11, scripture number 11. I hope you're ready. I'm feeling much better. Now, yesterday, I really wasn't in the physical condition to be doing a live broadcast. I felt like I was going to have a seizure, having some of those neurological issues, but I made it past that. I'm ready to go. I I, I think I'm mentally alert to deliver, hopefully, a good study, a decent study, an adequate study, one that I hope will be beneficial to you. So are you ready? Day 11, scripture number 11 begins right now. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, June the 23rd, 2022. It is currently 4.45 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, and you're listening to the Theology Central Podcast, and you are listening to another episode in our series, 30 Days, 30 Scriptures, or 30 Scriptures in 30 Days. What are we actually calling this? I, that, that's a good question. What are we actually calling this? We, we are calling this, we are calling this 30 Scriptures in 30 Days. I was saying 30 Days in 30 Scriptures. That doesn't make any sense. 30 Scriptures in 30 Days. And remember, this has all been inspired motivated by the book written by Charles Stanley, 30 Life Principles, which when I came in contact with many years ago, I've always felt like there's a disconnect between his principles and the scriptures he uses to supposedly bring forth these principles. And so what I have determined, at least in my estimation, he may completely disagree with me, but that's okay. In my estimation, he came up with the principle first, and then he imposed it he tried to find some scriptures to impose the principle on. I don't feel like it was, hey, I'm studying scripture. Oh, here's some good, that's a good principle. Let me write that one down. Oh, I'm studying another scripture. Oh, that's a good principle. Let me write that down. Look, I've got 30 life principles and I'm going to make these life principles key to my life, to my ministry, to everything I do. I, I just don't feel like that's the way it came about. It felt like he had principles. He's like, I got to find 30 scriptures. I got to find some scriptures. 
here, I'll use that one. I'll use that one. In almost every case, at least for me, I'm like, it just, the pieces don't fit together. I, I It's like, hey, I bought the 30 life principles puzzle and I've spent 10 years and I still cannot complete the puzzle. The pieces don't fit together. The puzzle is defective. Okay. That, that's how I feel. Okay. I, I, I know not everyone may agree with that, but that's how I feel. So what I decided to do is, you know what, let's take the 30 life principles and we'll take the scriptures he uses for it. And this is what I'll do. We'll, we'll spend 30 days going through those 30 scriptures and come up with our own principles. And that's what we have been doing. And as of right now, this is day 11. So in 10 days, in 10 scriptures, we have come up with, let me find the page. We've come up with 25 principles, 25. So yeah, we've come up with more principles than he came up with, but that's okay. 25, hopefully you've been writing them down Hopefully you found some of them to be meaningful. I'm hoping. I'm hoping there's someone out there like that. Principle number three, great. Principle number six, amazing. Principle number 10, wonderful. Or even if someone says, hey, all of your principles are garbage. They're all useful. That's okay too. I, I just like hearing what, you know, <laughs> I like hearing feedback on this because it has taken a lot of work. Now, just, just a reminder how we're doing this is I thought it would be more fun to just open the book, 30 Life Principles, turn the page to the next principle and to the next scripture without doing any advanced study or work. And that places me in the the kind of uh, an easy position of trying to figure it out live on the air. But I, I thought the reason I would I would do it that way is while I'm sitting there trying to figure it out and I'm like, well, it could be this and I'm trying to process it. You're sitting there going, no, 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 it should be this. or And you find yourself kind of actively participating, even if you don't want to, even if you're one who just normally kind of sits passively by, I'm hoping that while I'm sitting there trying to figure it out, you're like, no, it should be this. What are you doing? You, you're yelling at your phone or however you're listening to me, your, your, your smart speaker. I don't know how you're listening to me, but you start yelling because then, then even, listen, even when I'm all said and done, you feel like this is a complete failure. If that ever happened where you kind of actively started trying to figure out the principle, then guess what? I've accomplished my goal. I moved you from a passive listener to an active participant. And that's what I try to do in every single podcast episode that I produce here on the Theology Central podcast. So are you ready? Are you ready? Now, if, if I will say this really quick. I received a message about that someone felt that I needed to turn the volume up when broadcasting from the house. So um, I, I increased it just to, I compared, I compared the uh, recordings from the church versus the recordings from the house, and I could tell very little difference, but I did increase it. So if, if you felt like the volume was low, let me know. One of the reasons I decreased the volume is, well, I had other people complaining that it was too high. So the, sometimes this happens where you get like, you get 50% of the people saying, it's too loud. And other people, it's too low. And you're like, I don't know what to do. So I have increased it. If it works for you, great. If it's still not good enough for you, let me know. And we'll see if we can come up with a solution uh, so that everyone can hear what I have to say. I typically talk so loud that you probably can hear me even if the microphone was broken. Okay, yeah, that's that's a little bit. In other words, you could hear me in your house. No, no, okay. 
Yeah, it's a little bit of a joke. But are you ready? Day 11. Scripture number 11. Are you excited? I, I'm waiting for like, I want to I hear this. This is what I want to hear. I want to hear this kind of excitement. <laughs> okay. And uh, yes, there, there is, there is. Uh, so someone said uh, there's, there's a, a volume knob. I, it, to me, the people who complained that it was too loud, that was, that was the one that was the most irritating. Cause I'm like, just turn the volume down. Like just yeah. now the, to turn the volume up, if you've turned it up as loud as you can and it's not loud enough. Okay. Then we need to work on it. But yeah, for the people who are like, it's too loud. I'm like, wait, you can't just turn the volume. Yeah. You would just be amazed at the emails. I, yeah, I, I know. I, I try not to always talk about it, but I literally could do probably every week. Just go. Hey, let's spend an hour in my email inbox because it's sometimes it's the the things people complain about, or it's just sometimes it's crazy. But yeah, if it's not loud enough and you've got the volume all the way up on your device, then clearly I need to do whatever I can because I want everyone to adequately hear. Adequately hear. If it's too loud, you think someone's first thought would be, "I'll just turn the volume down." I would just, <laughs> you you would think. I don't uh, look. I'm looking at my meter, and it's in the green, so I'm not going into the yellow or even into the red. So clearly, it should not be too loud. If I if the meter is peeking into the red or to the yellow, then you get that distortion. So I'm clearly I can't be too loud. So I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do the best I can with what we have. Uh, that's, that's, that's all I can do. So if it is not loud enough, please let me know because that is important. I always worry about that because you hear me complain all the time about how when we review sermons, I'm like, what is the deal? Turn the volume up because I'll have it cranked to 100 and it won't be loud enough. So yeah, if, if, if it's never loud enough, you let me know. If your vo- Put it this way. If your volume is at 100, and I'm not loud enough, then I need to do what I can to fix it. So that that's okay. If it's too loud, I would ask you to consider turning the volume down. I, I would, I know that's crazy, but I would ask you to possibly do that. I would. Now, if you need, you can give me your address and I will drive every time before I start a live broadcast, I will drive to your house, turn the volume down for you and then drive back to my house and start. Okay. Obviously I'm being a little sarcastic because I, I, I couldn't do that. Okay. But you get the idea. All right. Are you ready? Okay. Day 11, scripture number 11. Here we go. The principle as found in Charles Stanley's 30 Life Principles book is this, right? And this is one of those principles that I'm like, uh, I'm not so sure about. You may go, oh, it's brilliant. You may, look, before this is all over, you may be more impressed with his principles than my principles, and that's okay. But I'm, I'm just, some of these I have a hard time with, and this is one that I'm just not so sure. Here we go. Maybe I would have been more into this one younger in my Christian life, but I, I, I'm more skeptical of this one now. Here we go. Life principle number 11. God assumes full responsibility for our needs. Now, here's the key next word. When we obey him. God assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. So your obedience determines 
God taking responsibility to meet your needs. So your obedience determines God meeting your needs. If you, if you're not obedient, God is not going to meet your needs. If you are obedient, God will meet your needs. That seems to be the way this comes out. God assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. Now, first of all, I would add, and that's one of the things with these principles, sometimes they need like massive explanation to even understand. What needs are you referring to there? What needs? How about if you have cancer? I think you would have a great need to have that healed. So if I obey that he's going to take care of my cancer, clearly that doesn't work. Okay. How about food and shelter? Some say, well, yeah, if you obey him, food and shelter. Are you sure? Because there's Christians in third world nations who starve to death. They can't even find clean drinking water. They die. Famine, disease, lack of clean drinking water, pestilence. War, okay, like so. What what do you mean there? So you say you are not obedient. It's like so. God is just sitting there going, "Man, I can meet your needs, but you're not obedient." And how much obedience is required before God takes on the full responsibility? Like, like, okay, guys, like I'm only going to be ten percent responsible in meeting your needs because you've only been ninety percent obedient. Like, how do? What's the mathematical formula? Because I know this: no matter how obedient I am, disobedience is present. I don't care how godly I am right at this very moment ungodliness is right there inside of my heart, my mind, my thoughts, my desires. It's present. And to say otherwise, I would be a liar. And guess what? So would you. So I, I, I have major issues with this one. God assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to say bye-bye. Bye-bye, Charles Stanley's principle. We're going to set it aside and we're going to look at the scripture in which this principle supposedly comes from. And what is crazy to me, this principle supposedly comes from the book of Job. From the book of Job. From the book of Job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, that was supposed to be a mystery sound. Like, that's a mystery to me. Job? Job teaches you, hey, God assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. That's the book you would go to. That just seems odd to me. That just seems like an odd, an odd choice. Am I the only one? Am I? Okay. All right. It's in Job chapter 42. Now, in this particular case, he did not give us just one scripture. He gives us from verse 7 all the way down to verse 17. So he's giving us a considerable lengthy passage to, to possibly try to demonstrate this principle that God assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. We're not going to try to fit this uh, his principle. We're going to set it aside and see what principles we can learn in Job 42, 7 through 17. And we are, and I am at least will, more than willing to admit because we don't know how this is going to play out. Remember, that's the fun of this. Is I, if, if we get into this and I just don't see any actual applicable principles, I'm, gonna, I'm going to admit that and just say, I don't know what to do here. I don't know. And I'm, I'm very fearful that that's what's going to happen here. I am. Maybe, maybe you're like, no, 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 no. This is, this is going to be great. I would argue for my rem remembering Job 42, I would think verses one through six would be some great principles to be derived from. 
but let's see what happens, all right? Job chapter 42. I've got multiple Bibles here. I'm just going to grab the one closest to me. Job chapter 42, verse 7. I'm not going to give us any context here. We're just going to use what he gives us. Job 42, verse 7. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said, all right, so now this is one good thing, just, 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 just a kind of a hermeneutical principle here. Whenever you're listening to a sermon, whether online, in church, whether you're in a small group, Sunday school, a Christian podcast, or a Christian book, anytime someone quotes something from Job, you always have to stop and go, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're quoting from Job. Who are they quoting? Because remember, sometimes in Job, Job is speaking. Well, is he right about everything he says? Is his thoughts always the ones that, is he right about everything he says? And then, well, sometimes Job's friends are speaking. There's these long, there's these speeches where Job's friend speaks and then Job responds to his friends. Sometimes it's just giving us recording what they said. And sometimes pastors will quote from this. And, and I remember listening to a pastor work through the book of Job in a, in a sermon series when I lived in Nebraska, and he would sometimes preach what the words Job's friends say as like, like, this is biblical truth. And I'm like, wait, no, his, his, his friends are saying things and not everything they're saying in their speech is correct. So how are you just grabbing random phrases from it? You got to know who's speaking in Job, who, who is actually the person speaking, because you may see... Well, four things they say here is not accurate. Well, then all of a sudden you're just going to grab one. It's just really weird how people handle the book of Job. But in this particular case, we do know this. According to Job 42.7, here's a good thing. We know that God is speaking because it says in Job 42.7, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves." For you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the uh, Namathite, went and did as the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. All right, now, the, <laughs> okay. I just got to stop here. I'm like, wait, what? So remember the principle, God assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. Okay. I, I don't want to spend too much time with the principle. It's, I say Job's greatest need here was to be vindicated and proved right to his friends. Is that's what he's saying? That Job's need here was to be proved and vindicated before his friends. So therefore, God stepped in and did this. Now, wait a minute. I, there's been plenty of people who've said things about me, thought things about me that were clearly not accurate or right, clearly misguided. In most cases, they were talking about me, did not, not actually take the time to talk to me to get maybe a fuller picture. And I don't think God has ever stepped in one time and said, hey, guys, you said these things about him and you were wrong. And not only that, 
is that really my need to be justified before the for the eyes of people? I, I don't I don't this is a bizarre passage. So let's go through this again. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm gonna have to read this a couple of times. I don't even know what we do with this. All right, here we go. Job chapter 42, verse 7. There's no way you can say this is how God operates. When when th- when when people lie about you, slander you, and say horrible things about you, if you'll just obey God, sooner or later God will prove that you were right and they were wrong. If you think that, <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you because it does not always work out this way. It does not always work out this way. I wish it did, but it doesn't. And I, I guess, and according to the principle that Charles Stanley gives, if it doesn't work out, it's because you're not obedient enough. I mean, that, this is a major problem. So let's read this again. All right. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now, and again, is this even about Job or is it about the fact that they had not spoken truth about God? Is this about proving that Job was right or proving the truth about God? We could have a whole discussion about how to interpret this. Now he tells him, take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. For you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, went and did as the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now, there's more here that they want us to do. He wants us to go all the way down to verse 17. But I just got to stop here and try to process this. Because remember, uh, is there principles here? Is there principles here that we could possibly take from this story? Because we got to be very careful here. I, I, I in no way want to imply that, hey, look, if people lie about you and they misrepresent you and they slander you and they falsely accuse you. You just keep obeying God and sooner or later you're going to be vindicated. I just, that's not the way it works. That's just, I wish it did, but that, so there's no way to take this and make that applicable. So what can we take from this? What can we take from this? Do you think, oh man, this is where, this is where I wish we had a group of people present. This is, I need, I need a, I need a small group. I need a congregation here, right? I need a congregation here. So I'm going to throw this out. Now you, if you're listening live, feel free to give me your thoughts. I will check the app to make sure that I'm not missing any, uh, any uh, comments. But if I had a congregation here, I would ask this question. Do you think that there's a principle here not, not the principle that God's always going to do this, because this is not prescribing how God's always going to work. It's describing how God acted in this particular situation with Job. It's not prescribing, this is the way God's always going to act, because it just doesn't always work out this way. You have to know that in your life. You have to know that. But it does show something interesting. That Job is going to pray for the people who 
lied and slandered and falsely accused him, or, or they misrepresented him. They accused him. I can't say lied. They misrepresented. They falsely accused him of things that was not accurate and was not true. They, in many cases, his friends were like, you you were wrong. When Job is going through all of the suffering, I know I'm, 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 I'm speaking this like everyone knows the story. If you don't know the story of Job, well, just let's just say he suffers dramatically because God is trying to prove a point. And, and you know, he says, hey, Satan, have you considered considered my servant Job and Satan's like, well, the only reason he serves you is because you protect him. And then God's like, okay, I'll take away my protection. Do this and this and this to him. You're allowed to do these things. And Job suffers. People die. It's horrible, 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 horrible story to read. And, um, and, but, and as this is happening, Job's friends are like, you, you have to be committing sin. You have to be doing something wrong. You wouldn't be suffering this much if you were a righteous man. So they, they falsely accuse him of sinning. They falsely accuse him of, of not being right with God because they didn't understand what was going on. So he's falsely accused. He's slandered. He's misrepresented by his friends. And here, Job is the one who will pray for them. He will pray for them, and I love this. I love this line, right? So he says, uh, I, "He goes. He's going to my, your servant, my servant Job, not your servant. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves." Do we have? A principle here. I'm going to throw this. I'm going to. I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to formulate this principle. Remember, I do this live on the air. I'm opening my notebook. I'm going to go to all of our our principles. All right, we're going to go to number. Let's see what number are we on. This will be number 26 if you've been following along, or number one for today. Number 26. We. should willingly pray for those who hurt us, lie about us, and falsely accuse us. So we should willingly pray for those who hurt us, lie about us, and falsely accuse us. Uh, I say, how do we want to work this? So we should willingly pray for those who hurt us, lie about us, and falsely accuse us. Our prayer should be that their folly... I'm going, to, I'm going to take literally uh, from the text that their folly, uh, oh, we, uh, we should, let me see here, our prayer should be that God should be that God doesn't deal with them according to their folly. I'm going to use that word. I'm going to use that word. 
All right. I think there's a principle here, right? The principle is I, you, you can see what God is doing here, but clearly what God is doing there, he doesn't always do. And anyone who thinks that is just completely misrepresenting. God doesn't always do this. You know that. I know that. All right. We know this. So we should willingly pray for those who hurt us, lie about us, and falsely accuse us. And our prayer should be that God doesn't deal with them according to their folly. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not so good at this. I, I remember, I'm, it's easy to write a principle and a book while I'm sitting here in an empty room uh, on, on a Thursday afternoon. It's easy, it's easy to say this. But wait till, I don't know, maybe Friday afternoon, Friday night, some people have lied about me, slandered me, falsely accused me. My first thought is going to be to defend myself. My first thought may be, hmm, let's see, they've got, they, they falsely accused me. They've made me look bad. Hmm. What dirt can I find on them? My first thought is, how can I get them back? That's going to be my, my you, look, you can sit there and act like you're all spiritual, but I, I'm not spiritual. I'm just going to admit it. I'm, 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 I'm a sinner with a microphone. I've, I've, tried to, I've tried to say that over and over and over again. I'm just one trying to figure out the Christian life, doing the best I can, okay? But I know that what God would, I think Job demonstrates here a very important principle, he's pray. He's going to pray for the people who did these things to them. And he's going to pray. Now, in his particular case, it's not that his prayer is that their folly won't be held against them, but God already says he's going to pray. I'm going to accept his prayer and I'm not going to, I'm not going to basically treat you according to your folly or as the text actually says, instead of me paraphrasing it. Um, he says, I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. I think in many cases, we would be upset with that. We'd be like, no, no, no. Deal with them according to their folly. You know what they did to me? Destroy their reputation. Humiliate them. Embarrass them. Make sure their dirt gets posted everywhere on the internet because that's what they deserve. Make sure it's everywhere. Make, make sure it's on Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, anywhere you can. Put their dirt out for everyone to see. That's, that's probably how we think. We, I, I don't know. Do, do you pray for the people who lie and hurt you that God will not deal with them according to their folly, but they would be recipients of God's mercy and grace? It's easy to pray that people you love would be the recipients of God's mercy and grace. It's not so easy to pray for those who are your enemy, but this goes right along with the Sermon on the Mount. We are to pray for those who would despite who would use us and persecute us. We are to turn the other cheek. We would to do good unto them. And in a sense, Job becomes an Old Testament example of that Sermon on the Mount principle. Now, of course, we know the Sermon on the Mount gives us God's standards that we fall short of. That's why we have to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by an imputed righteousness alone. So, but I think that this is an important principle. We should willingly pray for those who hurt us lie about us, falsely accuse us, and our prayer should be that God doesn't deal with them according to their folly. Now, I could stop right there, but the, the Life Principles book tells me I've got to go further down. I've got to go all the way down to verse 17. All right, so here we go. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances came to him and dined with him in his house. 
They sympathized with him and comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Uh, and then it talks about he, he, names, uh, that he names his children. Uh, no women as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land, and their fathers granted them, uh, uh, could be found, and their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. So Job, Job lived 140 years after and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died old and full of days. And that's it. I don't know why it says go down to verse 17. Okay, there. Then Job died old and full of days. All right. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people looked at this restoration of all of this stuff as some happy ending to the story. They're like, see, Job, Job had more kids. I, I, that just seems, I, I hate when people do that. Hey, no, his other children died. And you don't just like, hey, I had these children and died, but I got new children. It's not like, hey, hey I got new children. So I, I'm, I'm good with the other ones dying. You know, the other ones dying is still horrible in the story, is it not? It's like, hey, he got new kids. So he shouldn't have been upset about the first ones. No, it still shows God's sovereignty and it raises lots of deep, troubling questions. But we won't get into all of that. What do we do with that part? What do we do with that? What do we do with that? I, I, I don't know. Is there a principle to be found there? I don't know. But you say, God, God's going to restore anything you lose. He's going to restore anything that you... There, look, there's people who are born in horrible situations who suffer good for most of all of their life, and then they die. It's not like, hey, if you obey God, by the time you get to the end of your life, you're going to be blessed and you're going to have cattle and you're going to have money and you're going to have kids and you're going to, and they're going to be beautiful and they're going to be wonderful. And they're going to be perfect and everything's okay. Come on now. Come on now. We, we know that that's not the way it works. That's the way it worked in this story. It's not the way it always works. And to say that would be a lie and a misrepresentation. There's a part of me that would say, what you do is when you're facing great difficulty and you're facing great observation or you're, you're great, you're, you're facing great difficulty and great opposition and great and people lying and hurting you. You just leave it in God's hands and he will make it right in the end. The only problem with that, did Job leave it in God's hands? Job, Job throughout the whole book, he's arguing with his friends. He doesn't just say, you know what? I'm not going to argue with you guys. You say whatever you want about me. Um, I'm, I'm just going to kind of press. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he argues with him. He fights. There's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So that principle would be inconsistent with the book. Job, he, he, he gives his lament and his complaint to God and he argues with his friends. So to say, you just, when you're suffering, just trust God and he's going to make it right in the end. Well, first Job did not just leave it in God's hands. He argued with his friends. And number two, you can't tell, you can't make it a principle that God's somehow going to make it always right in the end. You may die and you may die. Everyone's still thinking you're a piece of garbage, even if you weren't. Your reputation may never be fixed. So I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't think there's anything you do with the last part of that. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't think there's anything you do. So I'm not going to give, uh, I think any principle I come up with there is going to be inconsistent with the book itself.
All right, so I'm making sure there's no other comments given. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to read the first part of this again. Seven through nine. Job 42, verse seven. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job. Offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. For you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, went and did as the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. I think there's possibly another principle, but I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going. There's one more I think I could pull from this, but I don't think I'm going to do so because I want us just to focus on, to me, what stands out to me, what jumps off the page to me is Job prays for the very people who's misrepresented him and slandered him and falsely accused him. And God's going to accept that prayer and not deal with them according to their folly. And that to me is the part that slaps me in the face because I wouldn't want to pray for them and I would want God to deal with them according to their folly. And I bet you, you would as well. So here's the principle. I'm, so, I'm going to knock the, the principle is don't hit the microphone when you're live on the air. Here we go. We should willingly pray for those who hurt us, lie about us, and falsely accuse us. Our prayer should be that God doesn't deal with them according to their folly. I think there's another principle here. I'll just read the phrase that just jumped out at me this time. And you can see what you want to do with this. I love this phrase. All right. Um, For you have not spoken the truth about me. In other words, his friends misrepresented God as Job, as my servant Job has. In the midst of great pain, suffering, and tragedy, what we always want, we always want to speak the truth about God, no matter what's happening to us, no what's happening around us, no, what, no matter what's going on in culture, we always want to speak the truth about God. We always want to speak the truth about God. It's interesting, the emphasis here is not on them speaking, this is kind of interesting. You can tell me, you, you oh man. There's almost, there's a couple of more principles. I don't, mm, I got to force myself not to do this. All right. But I, I could turn this into a series. I just find it interesting here. The more that I read it, the emphasis is not on the fact that they spoke incorrect things about Job. They spoke incorrect things about God. They misrepresented God. Now, of course, they misrepresented and falsely accused Job. There's no question. And that does jump out in the fact that he's the one praying for them. But the issue is they sp- they didn't speak the truth about God and Job did. We must always seek to speak the truth about God no matter what no matter what no matter what's happening to us. No matter pain, suffering, confusion, no, even in a, even in the midst of our own sin, we still want to speak the truth about God.
I, I, this is one I'm going to kind of just leave and, and see what everyone does with this. There's the fact that this is more about them not speaking the truth about God, I think is the emphasis here. I know I placed it about Job's response to them, but I think that's a part of it. And then that Job spoke the truth about him. I, there, there's, there's stuff to work with. I'm, I'm just going to, if you come up with some principles there that you think are consistent with the text and the story, I, I, would, li- I would love to get your thoughts here. This one I'm going to leave a little bit open. I, I'm going to probably kick myself that I am because there's no going back. The next time we do a live broadcast, we're moving right on. But, I, but I, some, I feel like I need to do this. I just need to leave it there, hopefully to spark thought, meditation, and conversation. You can email me your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And that concludes scripture number 11, day number 11. Oh, there's more principles. Yeah, that, that, but maybe it'll come in, up in another kind of devotional study at some other point, but there's so much there. All right, I'm going to stop. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That concludes... Scripture number 11, day number 11. I appreciate you participating and hopefully this has been beneficial. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I hope you spend some time meditating on these principles and it serves you well in your spiritual growth. Thanks for listening.